Chris and I haven't preached for a while. And uh, I don't think we've ever preached this long. And here we are pushed all the way to the end of the month. So Wes is going to preach tonight. And uh, uh, and before he comes up here, who narked on me today? You, you guys are a bunch of narks. I'll tell you. What is that? Snitches get stitches. Uh, Wes, you come and preach. Well, I found out just a little while ago I was preaching tonight, so we'll see how this goes. Anyway, Acts chapter 8. What's that? Oh, you did? Man, where were you all day? Man, you know, we, we could talk, we could talk for a long time just about camp. Um, it really was, it really was a rough week, but it ended up being a really good week. And uh, if I sound congested, it's because I am. Um, and I can't hear anything. So yesterday, I, w I worked in the hallway with James uh, Hastings, and uh, I cut all that pine. And uh, as much as I enjoy woodworking, Unfortunately, I'm allergic to sawdust. And so anytime I do anything at home, for about two days, my head is just completely clogged up. And it's very annoying. And Mrs. Sperry is right. I should wear a mask. But I did not wear a mask yesterday. And so my head just, I mean, whatever. It is what it is. But anyway, um, camp, camp is just, it's always such a great week. And it's always neat to me to see the kids rise to the occasion. Uh, you know, a couple years ago, Thane had his seizure. And when that all happened, the kids got together. Some of them prayed. Uh, they kind of rallied around each other. They rallied around Thane. And they just they just pitched right in. And they took care of stuff around the house. And they, they prepared things and helped out any way they could. And then this year with, you know, the pukies running around, um, they, they kind of did the same thing. I mean, they just pitched in. They did what they had to do. Um, I think they really appreciated the fact that we just kind of got rid of cabin cleanup because um, nobody cleaned up a thing after that. But um, they always do. They always just kind of rise to the challenge, and I really appreciate that. Um, I appreciate their spirit and their attitude. Um, unfortunately, next year we're going to have to take Mrs. Carnes' phone away. But um, <coughs> anyway, um, but anyway, camp is just awesome, and it's just it's such a wonderful time. Like Pastor said last week, the unfortunate thing sometimes about camp is our kids go and they make decisions. Then they come home. And the reality is sometimes those decisions challenge us as parents. And we have to make a choice. Am I going to rise to that challenge, or am I going to drag my kids back down with me? I remember when I was a kid in high school, <coughs> we had a new family come to church, and uh, they went to camp with us. And they actually, they were old enough to drive, so we had one vehicle. It was just all teens. And on the way up, man, we were pumping rock music and everything, and, man, we were having a grand old time all the way to camp. Then we get to camp, and the preaching started, and it was nothing but conviction all week. And before that week ended, we were in our cabin snapping CDs. How many of you remember CDs? How many of you don't know what a CD is? 
Oh, okay. Anyway, no, I'm not joking. I mean, they had a binder full of rock and roll, whatever CDs. And by the end of the week, we were snapping CDs, just snap, snap, snap. Well, mom and dad found out when we got home, they left the church, never saw them again. They were mad because of all that money they spent on CDs. And you know what? As parents, our kids make decisions sometimes because they're a little more tender than we are. And then we have to rise to that challenge. Sometimes that's hard. And we have to make that choice to grow up spiritually and be there for our kids. And so I challenge you, just like Pastor did last week, rise to that challenge. Anyway, tonight we're going to look at the life of Stephen, Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. The Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and great and made great lamentation over him. You know, through the as we've looked through this through the book of Acts, just these first few chapters, we've seen a, we've seen the opportunity that God gave to the disciples, to the apostles, to preach Christ and to share Christ, risen from the dead, and the gospel. They had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Here we have somebody who's not an apostle. He's not a disciple. He was just a saved church member, and now he's a deacon, and God uses him in an amazing way, and he grabs hold on this opportunity. But here's the thing. That opportunity cost him his life. And you know what? Our opportunities for God might cost us something. In fact, they almost always cost something. Sometimes it's saying no to a dream. Sometimes it's saying no to your own desires. Sometimes it's saying no to family or friends or whatever the circumstance might be. But saying yes, taking the opportunities that Christ gives us usually costs us something. And in this situation, it costs Stephen his life. It cost him his life. So if you go back to Acts chapter 6, we're going to look at a few things. I have almost 70 verses here to go through. So I'm going to pull a Pastor Monday. And get, I'm not going to give you a time, never mind. Um, a few things about Stephen that I want you to think about. First thing I want you to think about is his metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, or his character. Think about his character. If you were to go back to Acts chapter 6, look at verse 3. It says, Wherefore, look, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. Those were the quali- qualifications for the deacon. And Stephen was one of those. So Stephen was a man that was of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And he was also appointable. They could appoint him over that church business. He was dependable. He was responsible. And so they could entrust him with that. Not only that, look at verse 5. It says, and, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 8. It says, and Stephen, full of faith and power. That was Stephen. Stephen was a man of great character, of honest report. Uh, His testimony was flawless, and and his uh, testimony in his community was flawless. He was full of the Holy Ghost. He was full of wisdom. He was responsible. He was full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and he was also full of faith and power. That was his testimony. That was his character. But not only his medal or his character, but notice next his ministry. Notice verse 8. It says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. 
couple thoughts I want to give you real quick about this. Number one, take your Bibles and just flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want you, I want you to notice a very important thing when it comes to being a deacon, that when we talked about deacons, we looked at this principle, but notice 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. The Bible says, For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase th- to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Here, I personally believe Stephen embodied this verse. I think Stephen was such a good deacon, he was such a faithful man that God was able to do more with him. In verse 8, he was doing great wonders and miracles among the people. And let me say this, you don't have to be a preacher to be used of God. You don't have to be a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. You don't have to be that person. You can be a construction worker. You can be a contractor. You can be a physician. You can be, you can flip burgers at Burger King and God can use you. God will use anybody that's available. He just wants us to be available. And here God did something amazing with Stephen. But not only his ministry, I would also maybe call it his courage. Go back to chapter 8, verse 1 again. It says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. While that persecution is going on, Stephen is out among the people doing great wonders and miracles. He was courageous in his witness. He was bold. Even at the hardest time, even when things were dangerous, he, he put his own life on the line to serve, to do what God had for him to do. And listen, I don't think any of us would really be putting our lives in jeopardy if we went out on the corner tonight or if we walked into 7-Eleven or if we walked into anywhere. And probably you could walk into Target and start putting gospel tracks in different racks around Target. And I guarantee you, you're probably not going to put your life in jeopardy. Not yet anyway. But that day may come. That day may come. I mean, our enemy is real. Satan, the devil, he is trying to destroy our culture. He's trying to destroy souls. And we are being attacked 360 degrees. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Today, I was watching, um, uh, I don't, man, I can't remember what golf tournament was on today. But I turned it on for 30 seconds in this pride thing in CBS Sports, supports pride month. And I'm like, I just turned the channel, I turned it off. But it's everywhere. We went up to Breckenridge on Monday and did a little fishing. And uh, you're driving through the town, and their flags on their light poles are the mountains but it's all rainbow colored. It's everywhere. We are being attacked on every side. And here, Stephen stands up in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of what's going on around him. He's out there doing these signs and these, these wonders and these miracles among the people. And that's where we got to be. We got to be among the people. We got to be among the people. You can't reach people if you're not among them. And that's, that's where we need to be. 
So he had his, we see his character, his ministry, but then the third thing, we see his maligning or his character assassination, if you will. Notice verse number nine. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and, the, and those of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. So here they get into this debate or this argument with Stephen. Verse 11, it says, then they, or verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they suborned men, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, this man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall, des shall destroy this place and shall cha uh, change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Here we see his maligning. A couple thoughts I want to share with you real quick. Number one, notice those without answer. Those without answer. Verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. That word resist means they didn't have anything to stand on. They didn't have any solid ground. They were trying to argue with him, but they were slipping. It'd be kind of like a defensive or an offensive lineman in football without cleats. You're not going to push against the other side very well. And that's how these men found themselves. They had no traction. They had no arguments that would stick. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to face people that have no answer. They're going to want to argue. They're going to want to argue with you about truth and what's right or what's wrong. And they're not going to have any ground to stand on. They're not going to have an argument that holds water. So then you know what happens? And listen, this is usually what happens. When people don't have an argument, guess what they do? They'll attack you. Nine out of ten times, people that have no argument, when they get frustrated, when they get embarrassed, what they do is they'll start to attack you. And that's when words like, well, you're not loving. You're homophobic. You're transphobic. Whatever it is. That's when we start using words like that, when we don't have arguments. When we don't have any truth to stand on, we attack the person. I've encouraged the team. We've talked about this kind of thing before in youth group. And I've encouraged the team, watch a presidential debate. Most presidential debates talk nothing about facts. All they do is talk about the other candidate. And that, it, that it's illogical. It's actually a logical fallacy. They're not talking about truth. They're not talking about uh, anything that actually exists. All they do is attack the other person. You know why? Because they don't have answers. They don't have solutions. They don't have any truth or fact to stand on. And that's exactly what happens here to Stephen. Stephen is having this argument, and they realize real quick, we can't argue with this guy. So you know what they do? They attack Stephen. So not only do you have these people without answers, but now you have the accusers. Notice what happens here. Verse 11, then they suburned men. They bribed. This word suburned or suborned, it means to bribe. So they bribed some people. So the first people that we see are the people who are bribable. 
Listen, there are those people who will say anything for the right price. They'll say anything for the right price. They're bribable. Notice what happens. Then they suborned men, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Was this true? No, it's a lie. But they don't care because they're getting paid. They're getting paid. They're bribable. Not only do you have the bribable, but notice this, you have the emotional. Notice what happens in verse 12. And they stirred up the people. They stirred up the people. Here you have the emotional. Here you have the people who just get riled up. Oh, man, we got a cause. We got something going on. You got some guy with a blowhorn, a loudspeaker, and he's saying all the right stuff. And people don't know what's going on. They don't know why they're a part of it. But, man, we're a part of it. Camp's a lot like that. The kids, they don't necessarily always know. But, man, we're competing and we're going after it. And they're all about it. But here, this is Stephen. And now they are stirring up the people. You could go back and look at the trial of Jesus, and they did the same thing. The scribes and the Pharisees were walking among the people. Crucify him. Crucify him. And they stirred up the people. You can watch, watch a lot of the riots, a lot of the looting, a lot of the stuff you watch on TV that happens. I guarantee you most of those people are emotional. They don't care about the cause. They don't really know what's going on. They've been, they've been riled up. They've been stirred up. And their emotions are just controlling what they're doing. And they're just a part of it. They're just in the midst of it. Has nothing to do with truth. Has nothing to do with what's actually going on or any kind of fact. They're just a part of the system. But then the last group you have are the radicals. So you have the bribable, the emotional, and now you have the radical. Notice verse 13. And set up false witnesses which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against what? This holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall challenge the customs of Mo that Mo which Moses delivered us. Here you have the radical or you have the zealot. Here you have the religious extremist. So you have three types of people that they've involved. You have the bribable, the emotional. Now you have the radical. And if you will watch our society today, we have the same three people that are on the news all the time. I would be interesting, it would be interesting to know how many people for Antifa and other groups that are out in the streets protesting, rioting, and doing their thing haven't been paid. I'd like to know. I'd like to know how many are just emotionally stirred up and they're just a part of it, and man, we're just going after it. And how many people are actually the radicals, and those are probably the ones that are actually leading the charge. But we see the same three types of people today. And guess what? You're going to encounter those types of people. You will encounter those types of people. We all will. We'll have people like that that will bring accusation. Oh, maybe they're not getting paid by a dollar, but there might be some kind of incentive. There's something that's pushing them. They're going to get some benefit out of attacking you. It might be a promotion. It might be your position. It could be anything. But we will see these same three people in our lives. And like I said at the beginning of this, people that don't have an argument, they will attack you. That's the way it goes. When they don't have an argument, they'll attack. They'll attack. And then so the next thing I want you to see is his message. Notice what happens in verse 1 of chapter 7. Then said the high priest, 
are these things so? What an awesome question. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, let me, let me uh, inform you of some things. Let me take this opportunity. Here's Stephen's opportunity. They open the door, and they give Stephen the opportunity to respond. Do you realize your days are full of opportunity? Did you know that? Every day, you have an opportunity. Every day, somebody comes across your path. Somewhere, you're among the people. Somewhere, a door opens, and you have an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody. It could be the most, what, you, what we might think, the most insignificant way. We may think it doesn't matter. I'll give you an illustration one time uh, about uh, Brother Nelson. Now, we all know Brother Nelson. And uh, so a couple years ago, we were coming back from a men's retreat over at Treasure Mountain. And we decided to go the not-so-quickest way home. We went over Independence Pass. We went through Aspen over Independence Pass, dropped down, uh, came down through Leadville, went over into South Park, and then we came across on 285 or whatever back into Denver, and it took all day. It took a long time. But it was beautiful. So anyway, we get to the top of Independence Pass, and the snow is still, like, over the white van. There's a ton of snow. So we get up to the top, and they've, they've cleared some of that out of there. And um, Brother Nelson and I, we're walking across the snow out to the viewpoint where you can, like, where it's like you're on top of the world. And we're walking out there. You remember this, Brother Nelson? So we're, he's like, I don't know. We'll see where this goes. <laughs> Maybe I don't. Um, on our way out there, though, we're passing people. And it's like this single track that people have put in the snow. We're working our way out there. Everybody we pass. Brother Nelson's like, hey, did you know God created this? Hey, did you know the, the Noah's flood caused this? Hey, did you know God created this in seven days? Hey, did you know God created this? Everybody we passed. I think we had one couple that was like, yeah, I know, you're right. Yeah, God did create this. And I'm like, this man will talk to anybody. And But you know what? He's just telling people. He's just talking. He's just telling people. You say, well, man, that's not my personality. I understand it's not mine either. But I guarantee you, you have opportunities throughout your day to share. And we have to take our opportunities. We have to take our opportunities. So here Stephen takes his opportunity. We could read all of chapter 7. Man, we got time. Look at verse 2. And he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in, in uh, Karan. Listen, here, Stephen is pretty much going to debunk everything they accused him of. He's going to address, they mentioned, they mentioned Abraham, they mentioned all these things, and he's, he's going he's to he's uh, debunk every one of their arguments. And so that's what he does in chapter 7, verses 1 through 50. And he deals with all of it. And so he debunks their arguments Verse 3 says, and he said unto them, get thee out of the country and from thy kindred and into the land which I will show thee. Do you guys know the story of Abraham when God called him out of uh, Ur of the Chaldees? But anyway, do you guys know that story? Do you guys know that story? How many of you know that story in the book of Genesis? So listen, I would, I would encourage you, read chapter 7 of Acts and then go back and read Genesis chapters 1 through 50. Because that's what he's going to talk about. Because that's where God began the nation of Israel. And so here he talks about that. He talks about how 
Abraham, their father, he includes, Stephen includes himself in this. He says, our father Abraham in verse number two. And so God called Abraham out of Ur and didn't tell him where he was going. He said, hey, you just start walking and I'll show you the land I'm going to give you when you get there. And so that's what Abraham did. It says in verse four, then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in uh, Karan. And from thence, when his, uh, when his father was dead, he removed him into the, this land wherein he now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession and to his seed after him when he was yet when he yet had no children or child. Listen, write down Abrahamic covenant. Write down in your notes, Abrahamic covenant. That's when God said, I'm going to make a people out of you that outnumbers the stars and the sands of the sea. It's going to happen. And God made a promise to Abraham in the book of Genesis. So that's what he references here. He goes on in this story. He talks about, look at verse 8, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob. And notice this, and Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs. That's Joseph's 11 brothers. Actually, it's his 10 brothers and then his two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim. But that's where the 12 tribes of Israel came from. You can look at that in the story of Joseph. Uh, in verse 9, he says, And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. Let me ask you this. How many of you know the story about Joseph getting sold into slavery? Go back, read the book of Genesis again, and there you'll find the story of Joseph. His brothers hated him so much they were so jealous of him that they threw him in a pit and they were going to kill him. But they said, hey, we're not going to make any money if we kill him. So all of a sudden they see, uh, oh, what were they called? Ishmaelites? Is that what they were? Ishmaelites coming down. They see him coming across the dunes. You know, you can play whatever like Egyptian kind of music you hear in your head, you know. But they come across and the sun's burning sand. And here they come. They're like, hey, let's sell them into slavery. It's a much better idea. Then we can hit Dairy Queen on the way home. So that's what they did. They sold them into slavery. And you can read all about that in the book of Genesis. And uh, it says in verse 10, and they delivered him out of their... Uh, and, and God delivered him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Listen, there you can read about that. I mean, Joseph was number two, if not number one, in number one ruler in all the known world at that time. I mean, it's an amazing story. And God did all that. And we're not going to read through this whole chapter. But listen, then you have Moses, who was born in Egypt. Let me give you one verse about Moses. If you were to go back to Exodus chapter 4, Remember when Moses, you guys know the story about Moses and the burning bush? Do we know that story? Yeah, we know that story? Good, good, good. So listen, do you realize Moses is about 80 years old? Here in this section, you're going to find uh, that when Moses confronted his Jewish brothers, he was about 40. Then he went and served his father-in-law in the desert for 40 more years. And here he's about 80. He sees this burning bush, and God calls him to rescue the nation of Israel. And if you remember... Moses told uh, God, he said, God, I, I, I don't speak real well. He said, I need somebody to talk for me. Remember, God's like, fine, okay, I'll send Aaron. Remember all this? Well, notice, look at uh, Acts chapter uh, 7, verse 22. It says, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, notice this, and was mighty in words and deeds. Guess what? You and I? We're not the only one that give, gives God excuses. We're not the only ones who rationalize with God and go, well, God, I don't know if I can talk to them. And what do I say? And uh, man, I don't know. 
Moses did the same thing, but here it says that Moses was actually very well educated and he was actually very well spoken. He was mighty in words. Yet he made excuses with God. And I don't know about you, but I do the same thing. God, I can't do that. God, I can't say that. God, I can't, I can't talk to that person. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. God can use you. Just be available. Just be, be available. He goes through all of this information. Remember, they talked about Jesus destroying the temple and all that stuff. He talks about that and about the temple and building that. Um, if you go over to uh, verse 48, it says, How be it the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Verse 49, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is this place of my rest? Verse 50, hath not my hand made all these things? God says, hey, you're going to build me a house with my own stuff? I made all this, and yet you're worried about building me a house? And so here, if we were to take the time, we could go through this. And you're going to see, Stephen takes the time to prove that he is Jewish. He knows his heritage. He knows where he came from. He knows where his people came from. And he, know, he knows that stuff. And he debunks all of his accusers. But then the tone changes. Notice verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. You see, it was wonderful. Stephen just rehearsing their national history. And I'm sure for most of them, they're like, man, yeah, Abraham, yeah, our father Abraham, yeah, he was awesome. And oh, yeah, Jacob and Isaac and Joseph and all these guys. And man, they're right on board. And just like a good old fashioned preacher, Stephen, whoop, 180. Ye stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart. You ever sat in a sermon like that before? You ever been in church and be like, man, this is, man, this, this is a blessing. And then all of a sudden, the preacher says one thing, and you're like, whoa, uh-uh. I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to go in that direction. I don't want to have this talk. I'm uncomfortable. Well, that's exactly what Stephen just did. Stephen's going right down the road they want to go to. <laughs> He's like, all right, here we go now. It's, a really, it's about to get real. And he, said, he calls them stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. We don't have all the time. But you could go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, and God tells the nation of Israel, you need to circumcise your heart. It was an internal problem. You could go over to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, and there God says, with your mouth, you worship me. With your mouth, you say some great things, but your heart is far from me. And that's what Stephen's telling them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You say all the right things, but you know what? Your heart, your heart's wrong. You have a heart problem, and they're about to not like this. They're about not to like it. Then he lumps them in with their fathers. Notice verse 52, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Now it's gotten real personal. Now he's got his finger in their face, and he's accusing them. You have persecuted. You've killed the prophets who told you of the just one to come. And now you've betrayed and you've murdered that just one. And you're just as wicked as your fathers who killed the prophets. 
and didn't keep the law. You're just as wicked. They're not happy about it. Notice verse 53. I'm sorry, 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. That word gnash means their teeth were clenched. Their jaw was set. You ever reacted that way when somebody's rebuked or accused you of something? We know when we're wrong. We know when God is right. And what do we do? We set that jaw. No, God, I'm not giving up that. No, God, don't talk to me about that. And we set our feet. We set our jaw. And it's no. And we resist. We resist. Notice verse 55. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open. Notice this. And the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. It's an interesting picture. But notice their response to what he just said. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. Why is this the tipping point? Stephen, Stephen has been kind of vague. He didn't put his finger in their face and say, you killed Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You, d- you put him on the cross. He, he didn't get that specific. He's pretty vague up till this point. But now in verse 56, he says, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. And at that point, they cry out. They stop their ears and they run upon him with one accord. Why at that moment? Take your Bibles, go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. If you were to, do, if you were to Google son of, the Son of Man in the New Testament, you will find it's only used in the Gospels. And Jesus used it over and over again. And if you pay attention, the Jewish people were not too excited about him using that name, the Son of Man. They did not like that name. So notice Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, notice this, One like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him, that one like the Son of Man, there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, Excuse me, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. I personally believe that every time in the Gospels when Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, the Jewish mind went to this. And at this point, for Stephen, when he claims, Behold, I see, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God, that's that position of power. Their minds were blown. They could not, they could no longer contain themselves. Stephen, right then and there, just equated the Son of Man or Jesus Christ with the same reference in the book of Daniel, I personally believe, and it enraged them. And ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to get too, you don't have to get too involved with most people. You just mention Jesus by name. 
You just start, start sharing Jesus and telling people that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There aren't multiple ways. Start telling people that there's only one God, and that's Jesus. And I'm telling you, that'll be enough to enrage people. That'll be enough to make people mad. That'll, make, that'll be enough to make people not like you and to start calling you names. Because guess what? They don't have a leg to stand on and they don't have an argument. So you know what they're going to do? They're going to attack you. Because whether we like it or not, this world does not like Jesus. They are not a friend to Jesus. So just start sharing Jesus. And that'll rock the boat enough. And that's exactly what happened here for Stephen. Stephen makes this claim, and in verse 57, they can no longer contain themselves, so they run upon him with one accord, verse 58, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. I, I don't know if we completely grasp this idea of stoning somebody. This was not, this, this was not, a pretty picture. This is gruesome. This is gruesome. This, there's, there is nothing gentle or peaceful about stoning somebody. I, I've gone out now a few times enough with pastors shooting prairie dogs and rabbit hunting and that kind of thing. And, you know, sometimes you shoot, especially smaller animals, it's amazing sometimes you shoot them and they kind of explode. They took Stephen out, and they took rocks, they took stones, and they literally bashed his brains in. And I would imagine at some point his head exploded. They took Stephen out, and you ever hit, like, your finger with a hammer and had, like, the end explode? You ever seen that before? They began to do that to his body with big rocks. And ladies and gentlemen, this, this, th there, there was nothing peaceful about this. I mean, this is just violent, vulgar, cruel. And that's what they did to Stephen. Why? Because he witnessed for Christ. He took his opportunity. I don't know what your opportunities might cost you, and I don't know what all my opportunities are going to cost me. But I guarantee you they're going to cost us something. They're going to cost us something. I think the rest of the story is one of the most convicting stories in the Bible. It says, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet. His name was Saul. Paul's about to enter the picture. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, he, and he calling upon God, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Verse 60, I don't know about you, but verse 60 is pretty convicting. I mean, I, I think if we all got real honest, we all like to get our pound of flesh. We like to get even, or if not, maybe get ahead. I used to tell my kids that. They would do something to me, and I'd be like, that's fine. I just want you to know, I don't get even. I get ahead. We like our revenge. We like getting back. 
We like to see our own idea of justice carried out. I was talking to Pastor, well, I was talking to Laura, and then I was talking to Pastor about this. Take your Bibles, go to 2 Peter chapter 3. I don't know who the people were that stoned Stephen. But I want to leave you with this thought. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What those people did to Stephen was awful. But guess what? Hell would be a lot worse. Hell would be a lot worse. You know, this, this world is full of wickedness, and this world is full of evil people. And listen, we are surrounded with evil ideas and ideologies and things that are being pushed. And it's easy to get mad, and it's easy to get frustrated. And, and I get that. But listen... Hell must be pretty bad for God to allow those wicked people to live so that they might still get saved. Maybe we don't really understand just how bad hell is. Because God doesn't want anybody to go there. He wants all to come to repentance. That's a, that's a sobering and humbling thought to me. That the most vile person on this earth, God wants them to get saved and not go to hell. Because it's that bad. It's that bad. And here, Stephen can kneel down and pray and ask God not to lay this sin to their charge. That's how much those people meant. What an amazing thought. What an amazing thought. I don't know what your opportunities will cost you, but take your opportunities. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you just uh, bless the rest of the night. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Wes. Before we dismiss, it's been great to have the gardeners with us tonight. And... Uh, just really appreciate them. Dan and Heidi have been friends now for several years, and, and we're just uh, appreciative of you guys being here. And we, we have uh, uh, Ty and Cody here also. And so before you leave here tonight, make sure you spend a little bit of time with them. They're planning on, if things work out, coming back tomorrow night, uh, introduce themselves to our VBS kids, and the kids will know then what the penny offering is going to to help them and let them know a little bit about Pam. But uh, guys, it's great to have you here with us, too. So God bless you guys. You are dismissed.